Welcome to the Life and Rhythm Podcast, where we hope to equip rhythm communities to be formed by God, with one another, for the good of others, in the valley as it is in heaven. Welcome, Kevin Platt, to the Life and Rhythm Podcast. Thank you. It's good to see you, my friend. It's good to be seen. For those of you who don't know, Kevin Platt helps start... Uh, this collection of churches called Missio Day here in the Valley. Yeah, Missio Day Communities. We started in 2008. 2008. You went to New Jersey for a while. Yeah. And are back. Yep. You just went to New Jersey. I did. I just got back yeah. last night at midnight. We'll so. have to talk about that. Yeah. So Kevin, when I think about all the formational friendships I've had since moving to Arizona from Illinois, you're up there, my friend. Well, thank you. Yeah, you've really shaped me in my missional imagination, but also just even my own, my identity as a beloved. We were just praying here earlier before the podcast was getting going, and I'm just opening my hands, eyes closed, receiving that cross-shaped identity. So I appreciate you, my friend. That's good. Good stuff. That's good. Love you as well. So Rhythm, you have got a absolutely phenomenal brother in Matthew. Uh, gift to the Valley, gift to you. You are loved. <laughs> uh, well, we're in Kevin's office, and I'm staring at these six symbols, which is what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the story, the true story of the whole world, and how that speaks to the character of God in terms of God being a missional father. And let me tell a quick little story, because yeah. <laughs> when I moved <laughs> to the valley... I was looking for friendship, and somehow Kevin and I got connected, and he invited me into this journey of going through a book called The Church as Movement. Yep. And we were meeting in his house one day, and he asked a simple question, what are the core characteristics of who God is? So I'm throwing out my list, you know, God is love, and God is gracious, and like A.W. Tozer, that famous quote where he says in The Pursuit of God, the most important thing about a person is what they think about when they think about God. So good. Because it shapes so, good. so much of who we are. So for, for Kevin then, after I'm done to say, well, why did basically, why did you leave out missional as a core aspect of who God is? And I think I wrestled with you a bit about like, well, I think that's an aspect of who God is. But I'm thinking about like my great grandma who just went to Sunday services every week and was never, I don't remember her ever being on mission. And so anyways, I tried to make an argument for a while, but I lost the fight pretty quick. <laughs> <laughs> And I turned over a new leaf and I said, I need to dive a little deeper. Mm. And so Kevin and I are actually together on a journey yeah. with the Missional Training Center, MTC, here in the Valley. It's a four-year theology, missional theology degree yeah. with Michael Goheen. So we get to learn every Wednesday so for good. three hours together. It is so good. What's even better is like when we go to the green corner afterwards and we eat Greek food. Yes. And we debrief. Those yes. are my favorite days. Oh, yeah, those are my favorite. So I'm just going to ask you, Kevin, to walk us through story, the story okay. of Scripture, Genesis to Revelation, and beyond, obviously, the restoration of all things, and talk about how that speaks to God's missional identity. Yeah, that's, that's great. Um, yeah, I think when we were meeting up that day in my house, it was the question was just, what are the core things about God? Because what we do with who God is informs the rest of it, and why this matters a lot to me. Uh, and I think it should matter for your, your church and people are coming in it is, uh, I've watched, so I've been a part of planting these 
smaller communities that are being formed by God together for the sake of whatever neighborhood they're in um, for the last 12, 13 years. And one of the things that I've seen in both the smaller house churches or uh, missional communities or or people who gather together who want to be a part of God's uh, missionary purposes, right, to announce good news, God reigns uh, wherever and to whoever they're sent, right? Uh, They want to do that. Um, And so they jump into the missional stream, so to speak, and then it's like there's a strong undercurrent of culture stuff that just sweeps them off their feet, Yep. right? Just, I'm excited, I'm going for it, I'm jumping in, and without a, uh, big word, theological, but like without a true understanding of who God is and how he informs it all, Mm -hmm. they get swept right off their feet because all they have is new activities instead of new identities. Some camp words from youth group days. Come on now. Camp high. Camp high. I'm on fire. Yep. That's another one that was really popular in the 90s. Yep. Feeling the zeal of the Lord. Oh, come on now. And then I get home from camp and all of a sudden, why don't I love Jesus? Except it happens in your neighborhood. Except it happens with adults. Ooh. In our neighborhood. Yes. That's so right. what I found to be absolutely huge is to realize that that mission is not just an activity of God, but God himself is a sending God. It's fundamental to who he is. So your original question, what people are actually listening for, how does that go through the story? <laughs> no, uh, they're listening for that uh, too. That's good. Uh, but uh, so we use six symbols to tell the story of the Bible. Uh, if you guys use them, the first one, just in your mind, imagine a down arrow, mm-hmm. uh, the, which is Genesis 1 to 2. Uh, a big X in the story, second symbol, that's there's a rebellion in the garden that uh, Adam and Eve choose to rebel against God. And then Genesis 3 to 11 tells the story of what happens when human beings are left to their own. Yeah. But God, right? But God mm-hmm. is gracious. And Genesis 12 through the end of Malachi 4, Come on. which is where it ends up, in case you didn't know, mm-hmm. uh, tells the story of God's relentless pursuit of people. Uh, cross in the middle, tells the story of Jesus' life, death, resurrection. Another forward arrow is the story of the church. A last down arrow is the restoration or the final place when Jesus comes to make all things new. That's a record. I think you just walked through Genesis 1 to Revelation. Take it. N.T. Wright says one of the most uh, important jobs the church has is to be able to continually retell the story and the cultures they're sent. And so yes. that's how we've chosen to do it. So it might be the most uh, helpful thing that Chris Gonzalez and I ever did was draw arrows on a napkin. Um, Super helpful. And I'm okay with that. But the story starts off right with God, who is good, right, beautiful, uh, creating all things. Um, and he creates on the sixth day human beings in his image with a commission yes. to uh, cultivate the hidden potentials of his creation. Mm-hmm. Um, he gives them that work to do, right? Be fruitful, multiply, exercise dominion, which is not like submission, but it's cultivating all this beautiful stuff in God's world. Yeah. And so he sends human, right? First thing you see in God is he he sends humans into the world for the sake of working out blessing. Yeah. There, right? There's a weird thought in my head of like, do it. He puts so much opportunity in the soil. Oh my goodness. And then he just wants us to go dig it up. It's like he said, hey, somewhere down the road, you're going to discover when you mix this element and this element and this technology, there's going to be an iPhone. Yes. It's in there. <laughs> But I'm not going to give it to you. You got to cultivate it. Like you you have to create the culture in which that happens. And so he, in his image, he gives us that creative responsibility. And one of my favorite things, like, so as a parent, I'm a parent, I've got three kids, uh, even, and you start to learn more than getting a gift from my kids, which is nice. Yeah. But it's cardboard. Um, (laughs) But like when you give them, when you know you have a gift for them that like you usually save the big gift for last, right? The one that you're really excited for them to get. And you're just, you're just waiting there. I can't wait till you find, uh, two years ago, it was a basketball rim in the driveway that they had no idea. Right. And they go outside, eyes pop, like excitement. And you're just thinking Jesus is saying that when he's 
God's looking down at the world being like, hey, I'm sending you to cultivate potential, yeah. but I know one day you're going to find sex. Yes. Right? Like, it's not going to take long. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> one day you're going to find it's chocolate. It's so good. One day you're going to find chocolate. Yep. One day you're going to find iPhones. One day you're going to find mm-hmm. that if you can make fire and then stay warm like and enjoy campfires and stuff. Like, all that potential right there. So God's ascending God before there's ever any problems in the world, before sins enter. He has given them a work to do because that's fundamentally what he is. He's a God who uh, did things, right? He does things. He's got a purpose to things. Yes. And he sends humans to continue on his purposes in the world. Yes. So good, dude. Second act of the story, Genesis 3 through 11, human beings uh, make the choice that they're not going to trust God's word. Mm Mm-hmm but they're gonna instead believe the word of the serpent or the deceiver. And immediately, creation is plunged into the devastating effects of that rebellion, right? They're naked and they realize it. They go to cover themselves up with fig leaves, do the same things we always do. As soon as we do wrong in our shame, we try to hide. And that's exactly what they do, uh, realizing that rebellion. And so because they did not do what they were sent to do, right? To trust God, to be his image bearers, and to cultivate hidden potentials, they instead didn't trust God, yep. grabbed for themselves, Come on. and the results of that were sin, right? I see too much of myself in that. Oh, it's so much. That's painful. Yeah. And, and talk about a little bit about the spheres of destruction yeah. for folks in terms of, it didn't just destroy our, our image, mm-hmm. it destroyed our relationship with ourselves, but it also destroyed our relationship with God, Yeah. So it created separation between us and other people. Uh-huh. And even cosmically, us in creation. Yeah. Sometimes when we, I think about rebellion, because I'm growing up in this American idolatrous, like individualistic culture, I think sin is personal. Yeah. And it is. Yeah. It is personal. Absolutely. But we can't reduce it to that. And like that's right. Adam and Eve were guilty. Yeah. It's not just they like it's a bad feeling. They were guilty. They they sinned. They rebelled against the living God. They didn't carry out their commission in the world. Right. Uh, they were selfish and. They did it. Even in the curse in Genesis 3, you realize that there's a division between, like you said, human beings and themselves, like mm-hmm. disunity. I feel shame. I feel like I'm not right. I didn't just yeah. do something wrong. I'm wrong, right? Yeah. In the core. And yeah. Oh, that, I mean, that, we're in a counseling office right now. That'll go forever. <laughs> uh, but secondly, um, like that relationship between each other, Adam and Eve start blaming each other. They had unity. They had joy. They had no reason to blame each other before this. And now, they have disunity and their relationships torn apart. Yeah. That relationship with God that was good, he used to tell them the best possible way to live, walk with them in the cool of the day, is now they're hiding behind a tree like a toddler Come with on. their feet sticking out from underneath the curtain, right? Saying like, you can't find me. And God in his grace comes and say, hey, where are you? Inviting them back into relationship because yes. he still has work for them to do even though they messed up, yeah. he still has work for human beings. Um, and then that last relationship of them with creation, right? You see that in the curse unpacked. Work is going to be hard. Biological functions become increasingly risky. Yes. Like having babies, that's, there's a lot of pain in that. And that disunity that didn't used to be there is all there. But he makes a promise that one day he will make it right. Yeah. But before it gets to Genesis 12 and he tells how that's going to happen, things go downhill quick. Yeah. Right? And so he sent human beings to cultivate the hidden potentials of his world. Yep. He sent them to enjoy him and live together in a way that glorifies him, right? Yes. First family, I mean, first two brothers, right? They get a body on their count, right? Like Cain, Abel, done, murder. Um, And then Lamech has two wives instead of one wife. Bad idea. Uh, (laughs) Noah's story, right? The the, the wording is like the people always do what is wrong. Like they continually do what is evil all the time. Like bad scene. He goes to cleanse the world through a flood, uh, sends Noah back out actually and says the same thing. 
go. And they're like, and <laughs> delight then, in all the delight good. Delight in all the good. Like, enjoy this. And then multiply that out throughout the world. But again, that first family, something crazy happens. And you're like, this is not going to work out. Yeah. Big Tower of Babel goes up. And they're like, we're going to make a name for ourselves. And God says, no, I want you to make a name for me. That's, that's the purpose you're here for, to glorify me and enjoy what I've given you. Scatters them throughout the world. Damn. Third act of the story. Yeah. We call this one the promise. And he comes to Abram. Genesis 12, uh, 1 through 5-ish, tells this story, and then 22 locks it in. Uh, but he tells the story of just how he comes to Abram, this dude who doesn't have a family, 75 years old, and says, out of you, I'm going to make a great nation. If you go, go to the land I'm going to show you, and I will make you into a great nation. Seems ridiculous. Yeah. Oh, it's absurd. To and Abraham's wife, even. Oh, she, my goodness. She laughs at the idea. Yeah, she gets, she gets, starts laughing, and then names her son laughter. <laughs> yeah. Remember that one time you laughed at God? Um, but it makes sense, though, right? Like, you don't get, so he sends, again, in his missionary, mm-hmm. he, he's a missionary God, so he's always sending. And when he sends Abram, here's this so important. Uh, sometimes we have this idea that, that God just blessed one people and the blessing was for them. But baked into Genesis 1, and you read that story from or 12, 1 through 5, he says they're blessed so that they can be a blessing to others. And that the whole world. Yes. Whole world will be blessed. through you. Yes. Right? This incredible promise of blessing that doesn't just end on them, but is always meant to go out to others. There's this movement that happens that God is a God who's moving blessing out to the nations from the get-go. Mm-hmm. And he's doing it, one of my favorite parts about that, Genesis 12, is he's doing it through family. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, he's not doing it through oh, come on <laughs> some now. organization. No. He's not. Let's let's start a building no. and then let's invite people into this. Look at the way in which he creates covenant with people. Mm. And it's not Abraham standing on a mountain pursuing God. Hey, give me this. Give me a promise. Give me a blessing. No, it's God who's the missional God who's coming after yes. Abraham, who's the initiator yes. in the whole story. And we've seen that so far, right? Like Adam and Eve, they got that commission. He came to them yeah. and gave them work to do. That's right. And now with Abram, he's doing the same thing. And the first thing Abram do is he calls a community. You'll see that God always calls a community for a purpose. Yeah. Yes, he comes to us personally. Sure. But the first thing Abram does is says, all right, Lot, you're rolling with me. Wife, let's roll. Come on. Like, and then he packs them up and uh, they head off. And so, but that movement of God's people being a blessing is that impulse of God, that God is a sending God, sending for the sake of others is always, always part when God calls you to himself, mm-hmm. it is to send you back out. Yeah. Always. Beautiful. And then the whole Old Testament tells the story of how uh, basically at times they get that right. Mm-hmm. At times they enjoy God. They enjoy one another. They live as a light to the nations like they were called. But most of the stories say that they don't. Mm-hmm. Right? They're like uh, N.T. Wright. Tom Wright talks about how they're like mail carriers who forgot that the mail was for others and they kept it all to themselves. <laughs> that's good. Right? Like so that's imagery. Like a mailman walking around with your Amazon package and he's like, ooh. It's new, for me. New Beats headphones. My yeah. new, like, and he's like, no, 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 you're supposed to deliver that. Yeah. Uh, but Israel, right, they don't live into their missional calling, wow. that which God has called them to do. And then that story of the Old Testament, Matthew 1, narrows down to one faithful Israelite who's left, mm-hmm. and that's God's son, who clearly sees himself as sent by God yeah. for the sake of the world. Yeah. And in the story so far, if you were tracking along, you'd start to have hope that maybe this one would be able to be faithful to the calling they were given. Wow. That, 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 to bear good news, to announce and embody good news wherever yeah. he sent. Yeah. 
where Israel was called to be that new humanity, mm-hmm. that new hope, that mm-hmm. light to the nations, possibly a scene where a character enters into the Son of God, where now he embodies all mm-hmm. of that, that new humanity in himself and models what, what this should have looked like. And the beauty is, again, right, he calls a people to himself, these 12 apprentices and those that come around him, and says, hey, let me show you the ways of the kingdom as I'm living it out. Yes. Right? And so they do life on life. They have life in community, and they absolutely have life on mission together. He instructs them the best possible way to live. That's good. But then he models it, right? And then he goes through his life demonstrating good news. Mm -hmm. The kingdom of God is here. Yeah. Matthew 4 and Luke 2, Mark, you come to this moment, though, that I think is just absolutely needed for this conversation because he comes to the wilderness and he's tempted again by the deceiver. Mm. And so if you're tracking in the story, your mind goes back to, ah, this is it, right? This is where he falls. This is where he falls. This dude's he tricky. Comes in. Yeah, he's tricky. And again, it's with food. The first thing he does is with food, right? He says, turn these rocks into bread. Come mm-hmm. on now. Yeah. If you're really God, do these things. And your heart would almost sink like, ah, here we go again. Mm-hmm. But Jesus is faithful to the calling he's given to both announce God's reign and show what that looks like. Beautiful. And he continues to do that through his entire life, right? And then at his death on the cross, he's murdered, uh, both by the Romans and the religious, mm-hmm. join forces, throw him up on a cross, murder him. And then you're like, oh, he was faithful. He did everything he was supposed to do. But now why is he dead? Three days later, he rises again, and you realize that the cross was not the exception to God's mission, but it was actually the white-hot center of it, right? Yeah. Um, that, that was a reality. And then as he resurrects, he brings new creation into the right now. Uh, John 20 again paints this picture of the first day in a garden, and your mind goes back to that time in Genesis 1 where you're like, oh, new creation now. Got it. With Jesus. Yeah. And you realize that he, again, though, the story's not over. His Disciples thought it might be even. They're like, all right, cool. Now you return. Now you make everything right. And he's like, wait, wait, wait. There's one more act in this story before I return to make all things new. Which was the expectation of most oh my goodness. of the Jewish community. Here comes this guy. It's time. Yes. Why isn't he riding on a white horse? Why is he riding on a donkey? Come on now. <laughs> Why is he doing this? This is the time. We're gonna over- I'm going to overthrow the whole Roman Empire yeah. with this guy. Yep. And... But Jesus has words to say. And if you go again to the end of John, when he's with the disciples, he calls them together and he says these words. And these are absolutely essential for us as we follow Jesus. Mm. He says, as the Father sent me, so I send you. Break that down. And then he breathes on him, the Holy Spirit. Come on now. But so here's the deal. Uh, As the Father sent me. And so uh, not just um, do the same things I did, but in very nature, the way that God is, he's ascending God and he sent me here with a purpose. Or we use the word mission. I think you guys do sometimes too, but this idea that we're sent and the church now is sent to announce the universal reign of God in the risen Jesus, yeah. wherever and to whoever we come in contact with. Yeah. And then our lives are meant to be oriented around that. Yeah. I had a professor one time told me that if you really wanna know what God is like, just watch Jesus and immerse yourself. He said, immerse yourself yes. in the gospel stories because this will reveal not only what kind of God we serve, but what kind of people we're called to be in his image. Mm-hmm. And 
it's so transformative if you'll immerse yourself in the narrative and say, this is what I'm called to be like. Mm -hmm. The way that Jesus responds to religious leaders, the arrogant in our world, the way that he responds to power, Mm -hmm. how he interacts and suffers, literally has a passion to serve others. He's willing to suffer for the good of those around him. He does not dominate discussions. It seems like he asks a lot more questions. So I'm just saying that to say, as we go on mission, there's a posture that Jesus takes Yes, that seems to be a very clear calling to the kind of posture we're called to take. It's one of those beautiful moments where it's, yes, like it's not less than follow the model of Jesus, but it's even more than that. You've been empowered with the same commission yeah. and then going forward and acts the same spirit that Jesus had. Right, like we actually, if we're followers of Jesus, if we've been born again, if we're part of this new humanity, this new creation people, that we now are sent out like Jesus was to bring the good news with us wherever we go. Yes, and just can I walk it back a little bit and say, how was Jesus conceived in the power of the Holy Spirit? When he is sent out into the wilderness, who sent him out into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan? Not not the devil, (laughs) the Spirit. He says, I don't do anything on my own accord. Mm-hmm. I only do what I see the Father doing. So how is he even interacting with the Father? I, through the Spirit. Yes. Through his whole, so yes. how does he accomplish the miracles he does? Some people would say, falsely, that oh, he, he was superhuman. He's not just like us. Mm. You see, there, he was Jesus. So I had somebody even this last week, we were wrestling with that. Mm-hmm. Like, No, everything you see him doing, he did in the power of the Spirit to model to his disciples as you receive the Spirit, mm-hmm. you can now do these mm-hmm. things. And, and then we enter into the book of Acts, and what does he say to his best friends, who should be, quote-unquote, fully equipped? He says, now don't you dare go out and announce this kingdom. Don't nope. you even try nope. to embody this nope. without my Spirit. Yeah, and I mean, just for you to go on all the way back, and then I'll walk it forward, and we'll get to that fifth act. You got uh, it. But... Um, like that that song now, I mean, Matthew led our community as the Spirit was hovering over the water. As the Spirit is mirroring over the Genesis 1, 2, Spirit moves over the waters, forms a world. Yeah. Uh, you realize he comes in Genesis 12, and again, God's moving, and the Spirit says he's going he's gonna to give life in a womb where there was no chance at life anymore, right? This, this woman gets really old. Yeah. Uh, I believe Hebrew says, like, good is dead, right? Yeah. Like, you ain't given life. No. Um, and again, brings a community of people now, right? Yeah. And then with Jesus... Uh, that descending of the Spirit at his baptism, before he'd done any activity, his identity is affirmed. That's right. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased, do whatever he says. Mm-hmm. Uh, he calls, and then the Spirit comes down. And again, that's in the power, Luke 4. Mm-hmm. If you look at Luke, uh, you cannot read Luke without seeing Jesus intrinsically connected to the Holy Spirit. Yep. Um, and then that's the way he does everything in Luke. And then Luke wrote two books, right? Luke and then Acts. And then you get to Acts, which is the story of the church, that next arrow in the story, the story that we find ourselves in, yeah. right? That's the act of the story that we're in. And again, the same thing's true. God, as a missionary God, has sent his spirit who now sends us filled with himself. Yes. Like missional imagination, creative imagination, mm. power, um, all those things, he's now filled us with himself for. And so is God a missionary God? The Spirit has been sending all throughout the story, bringing life, giving shape, and empowering the movement of God to take root in this world. And now he chooses to do that in people. Men, women, children who bow their knee in allegiance to Jesus and are willing to be used by him in the world they're sent. Yeah. Like, And that's the story of Acts all the way through the epistles. 
Yeah. Right? I mean, that's, that's the story. Here's what it looks like to live in light of the risen Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and God is continuing that work. So where the apostles thought, hey, it's over. Whew, you're coming back. He's like, no, 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 there's more to this story. And now I want you to take up your role faithfully in that story. Yeah. Um, and this is the beautiful thing that now we, as the people of God sent right now, this is our moment, yeah. right? Like, like if you're hearing this, this is your moment to be the people of God in the place where he sent you. Then what happens with that? Yeah. Like we are literally filled with God's sending spirit. God wants to be known. Mm. All throughout the story, tra- trace that theme. And we're able to know him, enjoy him, be filled by him, but always for the work again, like Genesis 12, blessed to be a blessing, we're still blessed to be a blessing. Yeah. And what I love, um, can I share a few stories? Please. Does that work? Okay. Yes. Just even thinking, I'm going to think of, uh, so there's a retired couple in our church, um, and they came to a place where they realized they had resources, they were saved up, uh, retirements on lock, then work with our community, they became embedded with uh, people who are in transitional housing situations and realize just how much of a need it is to have a place that you can call home when you've made some mistakes in your past. If you have yeah. a felony, if you've had an eviction, uh, things haven't worked out, you got sick and you couldn't hold your house, right? Then it's really hard to get another home. Um, and so what they said in their, as they're praying, as they're thinking, and this was a direct quote, uh, was, I think people need a house more than I need another cruise. <laughs> I've been blessed to be a blessing. So they, they, they did the research. They, right? Go on. Oh, man. They need a house more than I need a cruise. And they bought a fourplex. And so now they have a fourplex. It's in Mesa. Wow. That they house both uh, at-risk families, individuals who have made mistakes, and then just some regular, normal, like, people that don't have any of those things but needed a place to live, right? Like, so it's a community that they're forming but not just randomly, right? Mm. Spirit gave them imagination. They had the ability and they said yes. And now there's at least 10 people who have a home in Mesa who might not otherwise yeah. because they realize I've been blessed to be a blessing to others. Come on. Come, and it doesn't come without headaches. No. Right? Like it doesn't come without problems. They're landlords now. <laughs> if, if, again, if you read the Gospels and you somehow come away thinking suffering isn't a part of this or the zigzag transformational journey yeah. that we all are a part of. Yeah. You're missing it. You're missing it. <laughs> You're uh, um, the building that we're in right now, it's a few therapists that come and are part of our church. And they had a dream that said, hey, just because you're uh, poor doesn't mean you shouldn't have access to good mental health care that's not bogged down in a system that's way overloaded. So good. And so in their dream, they prayed and they had the idea that we could form a place where it was... Uh, able to be those that can afford it, pay a certain amount, and those that can't are blessed by those that can. So their whole model is that some of us have been blessed to be a blessing, mm. but we can form together to see the gospel and therapy, both are needed, to bring about holistic healing for individuals. Yes. And that's where we're at right now, right? Because they said yes. They said we're a part of this story. God is ascending God who has sent us here in this moment. Here's the skills we have. How do we use them to bless others? Yeah, bro. And then I watch as teenagers do it too, right? This isn't just a parent's thing. No, no. This no. isn't just a grandparent's thing. I watch as teenagers see themselves as part of God's story, that they've been filled with his spirit and sent to their high schools, right? And so their conversations now change because they're like, what if in these four years of high school, this place and these people look a little different because God has shown himself to me and I can start to show myself to them. Yeah. My sports team is now an arena for mission. Yeah. My art class, arena for mission. Beautiful. Changes everything. Bro. Which leads us to the final act. Come on now. Preach one to us. The restoration. 
God has a final purpose for this whole story. It's not destruction. It's he no. doesn't want to destroy all things. No, it's not light it up, let it burn. He's going to make all new things? All things new. That's a little different. Uh, I, I don't know why my imagination early on in my walk was stirred more towards destruction than restoration. Almost an anxious, I better get right with Jesus because if I'm not, he wants to destroy me. But this story so far has been one of, no, actually, we have a bent towards destruction. Yeah. And the God of the universe who created and sustains all things, he actually wants to restore. Yeah. So what we see in Revelation, tie it in for us. Matt, what's missing in my symbols, uh, and, I, and I know this, and I'm just to say, it, like, there is a point of judgment in there, and so that can't be missed. Mm-hmm. And that, that's real, right? So he does restore all things, but there's a point of judgment in that, like, Apostles Creed, he comes to judge the living and the dead. Yeah, that's important. And dude. so that's important to see. Like there is actually, a, that we bow our knee to King Jesus is important. Yes, yeah. God is a God of love. God is ascending God. But he has sent us because the end point, if we don't bow our knee, right, there is some sort of consequence. Of consequence. Yeah. But his end is that we'd be able to enjoy a restored relationship with him on new creation. Yeah. Finally and fully he will do that which he has accomplished to do. And this whole story will be the long road of redemption, but there will be a moment when that is realized in a way that will blow all of our imaginations, regardless of what eschatology you hold. Mm-hmm. It will blow all of our imagination, and he will actually accomplish what he set out to do, and all things will be made new. I like N.T. Wright's books when he talks about surprised by hope. Mm. And, you know, simply Christian, all those books that point to this idea of, I think we will be surprised that exactly what you're saying, that the story, he's, he's going to wrap it up. Mm-hmm. But there is a sense of urgency to every single one of us. There's a personal responsibility yes. to respond to God's gift of yes. grace. I'm glad you said that because that, that is something that, for whatever reason, our generation mm-hmm. is starting to leave out, mm-hmm. the judgment part of the story, mm-hmm. because it's not palatable and it doesn't speak to, oh, let's just tolerate everybody. This is a real holy God who really loves us, wants to restore all things, but isn't gonna make you love him. And I can absolutely invite you in love, not fear, to take up your role in God's story and hope that you do because I think it's the best possible way to live. Yeah. And so that's my prayer, right? Yeah. So this is the invitation for us today to take up our role in God's story, to participate not just in the activities of God, but to further reflect the character of God as we go wherever he sends us. Amen. Dude, thanks for being with me. Thanks for having me. Love you, bro. All right. Peace. Adios. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Life and Rhythm Podcast. We are on mission to live freely and lightly with one another for the good of others. Peace.